Amen. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, thank you, Greg and company, for leading us in worship. Um, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. It's good to see you here in the room. Thank you for joining us online if you're watching uh, online right now or listening to the podcast later. It's always a special time to share in communion with you guys, so uh, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate the time to step back and just reflect uh, on Christ and his sacrifice for us. What a beautiful and powerful, powerful thing. Um, I, I'd like to begin by asking you a question this morning, and that is, can you remember, can you recall a really good piece of advice that you ever got from someone that you know? All right, can you recall, it could be from a mother, it could be from a coach, it could be from a grandfather, it could be from a boss, it could be from your sibling, who knows? A good piece of advice that you've actually put into practice at one point in your life that has been a little bit grounding to you. Can you think about that? In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to share it with your neighbor right now, okay? Go. Three, two, one. All right. Good job. Did anybody get anything out like that somewhere? Yeah. I want to share some advice with you. All right. I want to share some advice. These are really good pieces of advice, and you can count on them because I found them on the internet. Okay. <laughs> Number one, if you ever got, get caught sleeping on the job, slowly raise your head and say, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> all right. So how to avoid being stressed at work, a list. Number one. Don't go to work. You'd be surprised how quickly employees at Lowe's assist you after ignoring you for 20 minutes when you try and start a chainsaw. And finally, this is a good one. If you stir coconut oil into your kale, it makes it easier to scrape it into the trash. Now, these are things you can live by, I'm telling you right now. These are pieces of advice that you can really live by. Now, I don't know what you shared with your neighbor. I don't know what, what was, you know, on your plate, what your experience was. I remember in high school when I played basketball, one of my uh, coaches told me one time, they said, practice doesn't make perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. And I still remember that. And it changed the way that I approach my off-season uh, work. I remember uh, Johnny Miller used to be pastor at Calvary Church in Lancaster. He told me when I was just a young pastor starting here, I said, he, he welcomed me into his office and said, Johnny, can you help me understand how do you keep going over the years? Um, I said, sometimes I put so much into like a Sunday morning message and I don't ever know if it lands well for people or not. And then I try to keep doing the same energy next week. I don't know if it lands and we do the same thing next week. I don't know if it lands and just on and on. Like, how do you do this over the years? Not just for weeks, but over the years. And he said, he said, Tim, it's not unlike um, a mom who feeds her kids lunch. They rarely thank them for the peanut butter and jellies that they get, but it feeds them through the years. And that's what it's like. That's what it's like. I'm like, I remember that. I still remember that today. That, that, he told me that 15 years ago, probably. Still remember that today. Advice is like that. It grounds us. Advice sets us in a good place. It centers us. It gives us roots sometimes. And I don't know what you shared, and some of it was probably funny. Some of it may have been good and helpful for you. And this morning, I want to explore a piece of advice with you, if you will. It's actually more like a fourfold framework then I want to make a big promise about it, and you can decide if this delivers at the end of the message or not. Uh, what, I, what, I want to, what I want to say to you is, I think this fourfold framework for seeing the world can do this. It can deepen your view of God, 
can help you persevere through hardship. It can help you rekindle an honest hope for joy. And it can help you see your work in a meaningful way. It's a big promise. It's a big potential on that. Now, you get to decide if that's true or not, because what I want to do is I want to look underneath the surface of um, a key leader in the Old Testament. In this backstory series, we've been talking about people in the Old Testament who have led in different ways. Today, I want to take you behind the scenes to a leader who is a profound, he was an incredible leader. He led the nation of Israel. And what we get is we get a chance to see what drove him. We, get, we rarely get that opportunity, but I'm talking about the person of Moses. And if some of you know your Bible, you know Moses was an incredible, powerful leader of the nation of Israel. He was the one that God called on and said, Moses, I want you to go get my people out of the bondage of Egypt. I want you to go take them out. And he led in one of the most significant times in the history of the nation of Israel, the Exodus. It is what um, all of the nation of Israel looked at as such a, a huge move of God for redemption. It became the major redemptive metaphor in the Bible until the cross. It was this incredible moment. And he led a nation through that. He led them through the wilderness wanderings. He had all kinds of people problems. If you think you have people problems, Moses had people problems, you know, running them through the, the desert. Um, so an incredible leader. And he actually wrote, he actually wrote a psalm, all right? He actually wrote a psalm. If you're familiar with your Bible, you often think of the Psalms as Psalms of David, but Moses actually wrote at least one, if not more, but one his name is on. And when someone writes a Psalm, what you get to see is a little bit behind the surface of what is in their heart and soul. And it's a gift to us to be able to look at this Psalm to see what is behind, what is behind the person of this incredible leader Moses. And I want to kind of peel the the layer back or open the curtain to let us see together and walk through Psalm chapter 90 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 90. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair near you. It's our gift to you if you don't own one or you can open it up on your phone, version app or whatever it is that you like to use. But Psalm chapter 90 is a Psalm of Moses, the only Psalm that is ascribed particularly to Moses. He may have written others, from 90 on to 100, he may have, we don't know, but we do know for sure that he wrote Psalm chapter 90. And in here, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to walk through Psalm 90. And we'll see four sections, and I think these four sections do these things for us that I mentioned at the very beginning. But it's really a chance to pull back the curtain and see what is in Moses' heart, the heart of a great leader. And so, I'm going to put these sections, my at least view of them, up on the screen as I go through. So beginning in, in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 90, I'm reading from the New International Version. Where we begin is really important. We begin seeing from Moses what I'm going to call a high, high view of God. I would have just said a high view of God, but I wanted it to be a little more memorable. And it's just not just a, a high view. It's actually an incredibly high view of God. Look at verse 1 of Psalm chapter 90. Uh, Moses begins, he says, Lord... You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, this is a really, really strong start to me, especially verse 1, where he says, you have been our, our dwelling place. This is the place where we're not going to be attacked. We're not going to be robbed. We're not going to be betrayed. Your dwelling place is the place you go for safety. It's your home, if you will. It's a place where you feel relaxed. You go to be safe. You put down roots. You're settled. This is where Moses begins. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, he says, throughout 
all generations, before even the mountains were born. He's saying, as you look at the world and, and all that we have, in this point in time in, most, in the history of the world, the mountains were the safest place to be. And what he's saying is in this, in this moment, like, you, have, you are safer to me than even the greatest and safest place that I can think of on this earth. Before the mountains were, you were here. We live and move and have our being in you. You are our dwelling place. We find safety and ultimate settledness in you, not just in what the world has made, not just in the security of the mountains that are in front of us, but indeed in you. From everlasting, he says, to everlasting, you are God. This is a picture, Moses' view of God as a sovereign king over all of the world who's been here forever, before even the greatest and safest things in our world were made. Moses saying, our dwelling place is in you, God. Not in the things of this world, not in the things that we make, not even in the mountains that you've made for us, but you. You are the creator. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And he's, God is so big for Moses that in comparison to God, Moses' view of humanity is striking. And it's a little off-putting a little bit, if we will, as we go into the next verses, verses 3 to 6. He says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Moses is just beginning to reflect on his humanity and our humanity in light of a God who is so big. He's saying, you turn us back to dust. He can turn us back to dust in a moment because why? Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that's just gone by or a watch in the night. It's, just, it's as if God looks at a thousand years and he's like, that's about four hours in the night. That's what a watch in the night is, is a four-hour watch. He's like, yeah, what feels like four hours to you mere mortals, you know, what, that, that's, you know that, that's the way I see a thousand years. You know, that's, that's, that's the way I see it. What's the big deal? I can turn you back to dust if I want to, just like that. Just like that. And your life, and Moses has realized it like your life and my life. It's like the morning dew. You know, it springs up and then it dries out and it's gone. That's it. That's as frail as we are. In comparison to this God, it's amazing. Moses begins in a way that most of our church experience, in my opinion, does not begin. My experience, and maybe yours, depending on where you've grown up, my experience with much of Christianity, even much of which I have led through, is that we talk about God primarily as a God who is near. We don't always like to talk about a God who is far. Theologians use terms imminence and transcendence. In other words, where is God near to me? That is, where is he imminent? And where is God far or different from me? Where is he transcendent and go beyond me? And it feels more comfortable and normal and good and healthy and healing and personal when we talk about the imminence or the closeness of God. And we'll use terms like God is our friend, Jesus is our, our friend. We'll talk about mercy and grace. We'll talk about how he knows our stories. And all of these, these things are very true. But sometimes we can get out of balance with the imminence or the closeness of God. And we can forget and be uncomfortable with or feel out of balance with the farness or transcendence or difference of God. And this is where Moses begins by talking about his transcendence. He is beyond us, so far beyond us. His power is something that is beyond searching out from generation to generation, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You have been our dwelling place, and in a moment you can turn us to dust. 
And in the best days of our life, we are but the morning dew in your sight. This is a view of a transcendent, separate, other from us, powerful, mighty, no equal God. This is where he begins. A high, high view of God. And he is honest, which I very much appreciate, with the kind of world that we end up living in because of our mortality, because of our frailty. In fact, I'm going to call the next section here an honest view of pain. Because Moses goes right into the next section here in verses 7 through 11, talking about what I'm going to call pain. That may not sound like he starts that way, but look at verse 7 with me. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. How many of you is this your life verse? <laughs> There's a reason why it's not our life verse or a verse that you may have never memorized because we don't like to settle on this. It can sound really harsh and different. What does he mean by this? Here's what I think he means. We're consumed by your anger. Let me, let me put it this way. If, if you've ever been a child, um, have you ever done something wrong as a child and, and your parents don't know about it yet? It's just minutes away, but you're afraid that they will. Put yourself in that mindset for a minute. You're a young child, and somehow, because your parents have this sovereign awareness of your you know, livelihood, they find out. You have no idea how they found out that you did it, but they find out that you did it. And where are you? In that moment between when you've done it and when they confront you with it, you are living in this sense of being consumed by their anger, in this sense that there is nowhere that you can go to hide from their omniscience. They are going to find you, and they can't, you can't hide from what you've done. This is, in some ways, what Moses is trying to capture. Because of our frailty, we live in this world that God gave us to live in. We can't go anywhere where we can hide our sin from him, and our sin will make him angry. And so we live in this sense of being consumed by it, only in that we live in that perpetual state like a toddler in front of their parents when they've done something wrong. Where exactly are we going to hide from them? And we're terrified by the reality because you are so big and strong and I am so weak and frail. I live in the sense of oh my goodness, I, what am I going to do and where am I going to hide? And we end up with our sin and mistakes that we make, we end up creating a world that is very hard for us and one another to live in. This is where he goes in verses 8 to 11. He says, you have set our iniquities, that's a big word for sin, you have set our sin or iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. What's going on here? And Moses, you may know Moses' story. Early in his life, before he became the leader of the nation of Israel, he killed an Egyptian man, and he fled. So he is a murderer, 
And he fled. He tried to run away from the punishment that was going to come due. When he was leading the nation of Israel, in his impatience, he struck a rock, not waiting for God to come through, but just being upset and being human. He struck a rock and looked for, for God to come through. Right then, right now, just lost his cool. I, I can relate to that. All right, I certainly can. And it's as if Moses is saying, these things that I've tried to hide from you, God, like... <laughs> How, how silly of me to try to, to take my stuff and, and set it over here. Where am I going to hide it? In the mountains, which you created? Where, where am I going to hide this stuff? And I don't know about you, but I don't know how um, alarming or shameful it would be if you could imagine for real for a minute all of the stuff that you and I try to, try to manage, all of the sin that we try to manage, the little judgments that we offer to one another, the gossip that we're a part of, sometimes the things that we lust after, that we are angry about, the things that we, uh, we hold back from one another, the ways that we hurt and wound one another, even so slightly and sometimes intentionally, just all the ways in which we interact that are mixed in with our sinfulness. They're wounding and they're hurting one another. And Moses is saying, where, where exactly can we hide from who we really are? Because it's as if God has pulled all that aside and we are consumed by his presence. Where am I going to hide that? And when I finally realize that, I am terrified by the fact that this powerful God who's made it all can see everything that I try to hide from him. And what am I going to do? And I realize that I'm causing pain to this world and pain even to you. And so my life, it ends with a moan because every day can be so hard. And sometimes I get to 70 years old, but if I'm lucky, I get to 80, right? But it's hard. Even the best of our days, he says, are but trouble and sorrow. We feel that in him. He's honest with pain that comes in this world. And yet he doesn't stop there. Verse 12 is, to me, a transition verse. So because of that, I'm going to put it up here in blue. And it's this idea, teach me to number my days. This is a verse that I would encourage you to memorize. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's a really big idea. Now, why in the world is that here? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why does Moses, in the, at the end of this section, why does he want God to teach him to number our days? Here's what I think. I think this transition is here because Moses says, God, I'm, I'm aware of this fact. You have made it all. I can't hide a blessed thing from you. We live in pain, but you know what, God, I'm going to say that I don't want that to be the only part of my future. I'm not content just to say that is the way life is going to be. And I'm going to ask you to remind me that even though I have fallen and failed and sinned, that may not be my future. Teach me to number my days because if I don't number my days, I will tend to think that all of the pain and hurt and hardship of life is just going to keep going and going and going and going forever, and that's all that there is. But if I number my days, every day begins to be important, and I realize I have a limited number of days left, and tomorrow doesn't need to be like today, and it doesn't need to be like yesterday. This is the first time that Moses introduces hope into the psalm. Teach me to number my days, because I do not have an unlimited number of days. Therefore, if my days are numbered, and all of us have our days numbered, if I knew what that number was, would I live in a perpetual state of defeat? Would I live in a perpetual state of woe is me, I can never get over my sin? Or would I actually do something, maybe change something, maybe act on something, maybe pray for something, maybe depend on something in a way that otherwise I wouldn't 
do. Teach me to number my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. And as dark and hard as the first part of the psalm is, the second changes the tune significantly. He goes into this, and this is the third fold thing. He goes right into a dependent hope in God. Look at verse 13. He says, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Then I love verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. So Moses, this is like two different people almost. I mean, this is what it feels like. This is a really significant shift. He says, how long will it be have compassion on us? And then I love verse 14. He says, satisfy us in the morning. It's almost like he's saying, when I wake up in the morning and I... And I, and, I, and I see the day, my, my eyes are open, as I roll out of bed, may, may I roll into your unfailing love. But I thought you were angry, God. I thought you were an angry, all-consuming God. No, that's not all. That's not all. He's also imminent. He's also close. He's also personal. Both are true at the same time. He is different and other, but he is here and present. And Moses is saying, in the morning, God, I pray that as I wake up, and as I face my day, that, that I would be satisfied before I start my day. So in other words, this is important. My day doesn't become my satisfaction. I don't find satisfaction somewhere around 10.30 after I've had a good meeting with my employees. I don't find satisfaction at the end of the day when I get an award or when my kids say thank you. I don't find it later in the day. I start the day with a satisfaction. I wake up and God, you are here and your unfailing love starts my day with a satisfaction. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love so that, and that's the basis of the satisfaction, that I can sing for joy and be glad all of my days, even though I experience pain and hardship. And sometimes we end life with a moan. God, I pray that you would satisfy me in the morning, that as I get up and start my day, I'm immediately in your presence and immediately have experienced the satisfaction that often I look for in the work of my hands. Help me find it in you because you are my dwelling place, right? You are my dwelling place, not the work that I'm about to do. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And then he finishes, it's a very practical finish in verse 17, and I'll put it this way, that there's, he expresses a desire for our work to have staying power. He doesn't end just with a general hope. He ends in verse 17. He says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He asks that God's presence and favor would rest on us and that the work that we do would be established, which is a, it makes a ton of sense to me. He's already explained to us how frail life is. And how easily the work of our hands, whether it's being a stay-at-home mom, being someone who leads a company, being a student right now, being someone who's moving into their next stage of life, being someone in retirement looking on the, the back part of their life, whatever you do, he's saying all of it is at risk of being swept away in a moment. And if you've lived long enough, you know that. It is so frail. 
A thousand years is for us is like four hours for God. And so the, the, the reality is it, it, it's so frail. And Moses is praying, God, may the, may the work of my hands, will you establish it so that it can have some staying power? So the next generations will see your goodness in the middle of a life that is so tenuous. And so at the beginning of this, here's what I said, that if we can have, if we can have in some ways the mindset of Moses, here's what I think it could do. I think it could, I think it could deepen our view of God. I think it could help us persevere through hardship. I think it could rekindle an honest hope for joy and also help us see work in a meaningful way. This is what I think Moses' Psalm 90 perspective does. It can deepen our view of God, helps us persevere through hardship, rekindles an honest hope for joy, and helps us see work in a meaningful way. Now, with that being said, let me go back. Here's the big picture again, okay? Here's the big picture. Think about these things, and I want to go into one question, one question on the basis of these. And the question is this. What would my, or what would your, blank, I'll fill that in in a minute, look like if you started with Moses' Psalm 90 mindset? Like, what are you trying to say? Let's look at it this way. What would your family look like if you started with Moses' Psalm 90 mindset? Here's how this begins. If you remember the fourfold framework, we start with a big view of God. We move on with an honest assessment of pain. In the middle there, we're turned, teach us the number of our days. And then we talk about a, a hope in God. And then we finally ask God to establish the work of our hands. Think about that with your family. Okay, with my family, God, I pray that you would remind me that you are my dwelling place, not that my children respect me or that my parents appreciate me. I pray that you would remind me that you are my dwelling place, not the pain or struggle in my family, but that you, God, are my dwelling place. I pray that even though I feel angry, here's my honest view of pain in the world, I feel angry with what's happening in my family right now. We're distant. We're not where I want to be. This really hurts. But you already know this because life is like this. Even our best days are filled with trouble and sorrow. Let me be honest with that. Things are not the way I want them to be in my family right now. Teach me, though, to number my days. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom in my family so that my hope can be in you, so that I can roll out of bed and be satisfied with you in the morning and not need my family to fill that satisfaction. And I pray that you would help me, right? I pray that you would help me see your love, your presence, your unfailing love, that I can be glad all my days, even in the middle of this pain. And I pray that you would establish the work of my hands in my family. So that the work that I do, the way that you have placed me here, if I can be a presence for healing and help, I pray that you would establish that. So that in my family they can see a good God who is big, who reaches beyond all of our pain. Establish that in the middle of my family. What would your work look like if you start with Moses' Psalm 90 mindset? God, as I begin my work day today, I pray that you would help me remember that you are my dwelling place. Not whether I get the client or keep the client. Not whether we end up with a profit or not. Not whether we keep the employee or don't. Help me to remember that you are the dwelling place before the mountains where you were, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Help me not to find satisfaction in my work, but just in you. And this morning, I need to tell you, honestly, my, I feel angry. I'm upset. I, I see the pain in my workforce. 
I'm worried, I'm stressed about whether we're going to make ends meet or not. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to keep this client. I don't know how we're going to solve this issue in HR, but I want to acknowledge that it's there. So teach me to number my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. I want to wake up again today, God, with a satisfaction in you. Help me walk through this day with an unfailing recognition of your unfailing love in my, in my life so that the work of my hands can be established, so that as I go to work, it's not just about building the company, but it's about helping people see that you are a God who can be trusted on, that you are the dwelling place. So establish the work of my hands in the middle of what I do. How about your school? God, you are my dwelling place, not whether I'm in the friend group or out of the friend group, not whether people respect me or don't. You are my dwelling place. From generation to generation, you are God. What would that look like in your future? in your future. What would it look like? Same thing. God, help me to find satisfaction in you from generation to generation. You are God with the pain and the hardship that's going on, with the uncertainty about what I can do, whether or not I can make this thing work in the future or not, I don't know. Whether or not people at school are going to care about me, I don't know. I know there's pain in my school. I know there's pain in my future. But God, teach me to number my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. I'm going to ask you, God, this morning, even as I wake up, Satisfy me with your unfailing love and establish the work of my hands so that whether I'm at school or whether I'm planning my future, that what I do can be established, not for me, but so that people, the next generation, are going to be able to see your faithfulness, even in the middle of what is hard. Moses' Psalm 90 mindset is a powerful tool, a powerful way to see the world that I would argue led him through his leadership. And so it's a question I want to ask you, make it personal now. What would my, you fill in the blank, look like if I started with, Psalm, with the Moses' Psalm 90 mindset? What would my what look like? What would my school look like? What would my future look like? What would my work look like? What would my family look like? What would my finances look like? What would my faith look like? God, a high view of God, an honest view of pain, teach me to number my days, to have a dependent hope on you, and establish the work of my hands. What would that look like for you? What would my what look like for you? What is it in your mind that you think could benefit from this in your life right now? What part of your life, whether it's parenting, whether it's your work role, whether it's your future career, whether it's your dating relationships, your grandparenting, your singleness, what is it? What would my what look like if I started with this? If I started with how big of a view God is, was honest with the pain that is a part of my world. Ask God to teach me to number them so I don't just think that this is always going to be the case. And ask God to help you make as many days as have been hard to be good, to settle into his unfailing love and to establish the work of your hands. In fact, I want to encourage us. I'm going to pray for us here now. Um, and as I pray, I'm going to invite you to consider this question just for a silent moment of reflection. What would my what look like if I started with Moses' Psalm 90 mindset? Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask you to help us learn and listen and hear from someone like Moses who had such an influence in the nation of Israel and even into our world today. This is a key question for us, and we're going to give it a minute right now to just let ourselves, our spirit, sit with this. 
what would my fill-in-the-blank look like? My worries, my anxieties, my family, my marriage, my future, my school, my sense of my identity, what would that look like? So I started my days with Moses' Psalm 90 mindset. Let's take a minute. stepping away from the fullness and the busyness of what we do to pull back and reflect on the scriptures and the gift it is to see someone like Moses and what he wrote for us his passionate prayer and I pray that you would help us to allow some of these pieces of advice to ground us settle us so that our view of you first of all can guide everything that we do help us to remember that you are our dwelling place you are our safety not the work of our hands help us to be honest with the pain that we experience even that we cause to others teach us Lord to number our days we ask you to fill our days with joy and delight to satisfy us with your unfailing love and to establish the work of our hands whether that's parenting going to school pursuing a career retirement whatever it is that our work can be established for your glory and for the benefit of those around us. Give us the courage to let this settle. Father, we love you. Thank you for the gift of Moses and his leadership to us. In Jesus' name.